Listen, players. <laughs> You're listening to the Movement, Strength and Play podcast by the School of Calisthenics. Here are your hosts, Tim and Jacko. We are starting a little recovery series on the Movement, Strength and Play podcast this week. And this is part one where we are going to explore the idea of or challenge ourselves on do we prioritize and should we prioritize recovery as much as we do our training? Yeah, absolutely. We've got some, I've got some, some research to bring to the table, a little bit of science, but also just some Jack and I have got a lot, of, a lot of years in the bag of recovering well and probably equal amount of times of not recovering well. So we're going to bring a little bit of our own personal experience to the table, hopefully to help you to understand the importance of recovery and then also over this series to help you to realise what you can do to speed your recovery and why that might be beneficial and not just from a perspective of so I can do more training. It goes a little bit bigger than that. Yeah, and uh, you know it's it's almost like we planned it, Tim. We have uh, the today's uh, podcast sponsor is the awesome guys at Newton Wood that provide Epsom uh, highest quality, not just any Epsom salts, the highest quality uh, and purest Epsom salts uh, that we talked. We you know, mentioned about this um, in the previous podcast where um, it's something that you know I've been using myself for over twenty years or thereabouts twenty years and. You know, the, we'll talk. We'll have a specific podcast where we're actually looking at the detail of why we need to um, increase our magnesium levels and why ma- increasing magnesium levels uh, by, through soaking in an Epsom salt bath. Epsom salts are basically magnesium sulfite, um, and how that helps and aids with our recovery. Um, what I'd like to encourage you to do is, we've the the guys at Newton Wood have got a very uh, simple sachet setup, so you don't have to like make a big commitment to buying like 20 kilos of the stuff. You can start with just literally one sachet, 250 grams, bang that in your uh, bath for just two pound fifty less than the uh, the cost you probably pay for one of your Costa coffees or other coffee outlets are available. And uh, why not try this very simple thing that's going to potentially have huge benefits to your sleep and your recovery plus. If you're doing it in the bath, I know Tim, you're not a bath guy, but if you're doing it in the bath, you get a little bit of little bit of me time, put some candles on, do whatever, and uh, and have a little bit of relaxation as well. I think that is one of the most important things about this, this recovery conversation we want to have. And that's one of the things that I think has got real value in Epsom salts. And that's Jacko says, I'm not a bath person, but I love these because they dissolve so fast that you can actually use them in your shower gel. You can mix it all together. And then when you're rubbing the shower gel over your body, you get the benefit of the magnesium sulfate. And one thing that magnesium is really, really good for is sleep. And that is probably one of the biggest factors in effective recovery of getting to sleep early. So if you have an Epsom salt bath after a day's training or in the evening before, before you go to bed, crikey, you're setting yourself up for a good restorative night's sleep. And who doesn't want a good restorative night's sleep? I know I do. Keep your mouth shut when you're sleeping as well. There's another tip for you. So you've got all the tips today, Timbo. Yeah, loads of them. The last thing I'm going to give you about these is just it's, it's entirely as nature intended, free from chemicals, artificial colours and parabenes and additives, you know, that sort of stuff. We won't promote anything that's full of garbage. So these are always the highest quality and you can trust that when you are sitting in a bath and it's soaking through your skin that you are getting no artificial nasties in there at the same time. They're also vegan friendly, Tim, which is uh, for something that is just literally magnesium. <laughs> Effectively, a soul. You would hope that it. You would hope that it is. But you know, there'll be somebody out there. There'll be somebody out there. Gluten free. Yeah. Gluten free. Vegan. It's it's all of those things because it's basically pure quality, pure (laughs) magnesium sulfate, which is a type of salt. 
let's not get bogged down in that. That's a different podcast, and you know what? We'll, people will get upset about that. So we'll we'll move on. We're going to get into this week's podcast, talking about all things recovery. It's time to roll the jingle. So, Tim, just setting some context um, around recovery and it sort of being the sometimes the the opposite or the like, yeah, the opposite is a good word, the opposite of training rather than and, and we spend so much time thinking about how what training program should I follow? Uh, what am I doing in my training or what's he doing? Well, you know, Tim, what are you doing in your training so that I can make sure that I'm doing the right thing and tell me what's the thing that I'm missing in this. Training. And we don't, and we prioritize training so much and for good reason, but we don't necessarily take that same intent to our recovery. And potentially we actually neglect our recovery on days where we should listen to our body and recover more. We might actually do another training session because we think that it's the training that actually makes us progress rather than I think what it is, it's the, it's the combination of we make progress and we feel good when we get these two things right. You know, it's not that we have to just recover and don't do any training. <laughs> we need some of the training, we need the stimulus, but then we need that recover to happen. And um, one little sort of, uh context or challenge i've got for today's conversation is that um it it's it's person it's person dependent and also like the way or what your sort of goals and your situation is with your training like if i and you know we said we draw on some personal experiences so just to give a personal context for and some anyone that's training twice a day because they do it as a for their job or even if you just do it because that's what you'd love to do but i almost want to put it as like for someone that's a professional athlete when they're and they're training twice a day it's imperative for that second session that you've recovered and actually then for the next month this means you're going to be basically doing morning and afternoon or morning and evening and after your evening or afternoon session it's imperative that you recover for that morning session the next day so you can actually start to perform um so recovery is so important for that um the 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 challenge on the flip side of that is if you're not training that many times and um is it is it the right when we're talking about investing in our physical pension you know that's something that's resonated with a lot of people me improving my recovery so i feel better so that when i'm due to train again i can perform highly and i've adapted i think is very different to me improving and accelerating my recovery so i can go and smash myself again the next day when actually that's probably not me investing in my long-term physical health that's where that's 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 my sort of like headline for where for my side of this that was good i think it's it's an interesting one in this one there's a there's a certain level of um probably a um a a spectrum of of where we just need to sit on this i want to get into a little bit of understanding for people as to why recovery is important and how it fits into the training process. But I think you touched on something where I'm going to frame this quite interesting. It's quite interesting how we want to frame the conversation and going like, depending on how much training you do will determine how much recovery you need to do. So if you're training once a week and you enjoy our podcasts because of the lighthearted banter and intelligent conversation, you might just sit here and go, right then, I train once a week, the boys are talking my language baths massages hook me up with the recovery strategies the reality is you've got plenty of time to recover 
between session one and session two, which often might be seven days apart or whatever it might be. So yeah. recovery is really important if you are going to train at a certain level. Now, that's not to say you don't you do one session and you don't need to recover. There's things we can come in, but we come in to, to deal with that. But just remember that the, the more you train, the more recovery becomes a higher priority on your list. And the thing to wrap it up with in a nice little phrase that I've used for years is people say, well, how much training should I do? How many sessions should I do? And I'm, I'll always go back and say, it's not the amount of training you can do, it's the amount of training you can recover from. Now, That's I've said that to, to a number of people since first hearing you say it, and I say it to myself 300 times a day because <laughs> I need to hear it. Um, but I always quote you, I say, Tim says this. Oh. There'll be a lot of people that will be, be, be using that as a quote and potentially, uh, potentially not, not referencing you. It's, it's all good. It's, it's just it's good information. It's fine. It's fine. Um, and the, the reason why that let's let's put that into the bigger picture because we have to remember that we have this like stress adaptation cycle going on. So when we when we train, we imagine we're at baseline. It's the beginning of the week, and we are fully recovered, fresh as a daisy, ready to go. If you go into a session on, on a Monday, whatever session that might be, you're going to create a certain level of stress, and that's going to take you below your baseline. So you you actually immediately post session are worse than when you started because of the fatigue and the stress that you've you've placed on your system. Now, let's say that's Monday. If on Tuesday you go and train hard again, well, there's going to be some recovery that's happened during that eight hours sleep that you got. But depending on how long you do this for, you might find that you start digging quite a big hole. So you get lower and lower down away from baseline because effectively you're creating so much stress that your body isn't able to recover fast enough to get back up to this baseline performance. And we want this, right? In training, this is what we do to athletes all the time. We'll work them hard for three weeks and then we'll give them a deload week and that's their opportunity then to adapt and recover. Now we are getting these little micro kind of adaptations as we go along, these small doses of recovery. But from off the back of really hard training, we actually need really effective recovery because we have to get ourselves back out of that hole. Now the body doesn't want to be stressed. It likes equilibrium. It just, it's actually after a relatively easy life. So what we do is we utilize this concept that the, the, or this principle that after stress, the, the brain, and I'm going to kind of do it in layman's terms, effectively says, Tim, I wasn't that fond of what you just did to me there. It's kind of a bit difficult and uncomfortable. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to do some, I'm going to change my, my system or change the body so that you can't apply that level of stress to me again. So say, for example, I've already, all of a sudden just started doing pull-ups. The body goes, man, that was a bit difficult. I'll get you stronger so you can do pull-ups so that I won't have to get go through this stress process again. Now, what we do is we play with that and then we go, okay, well, so now I can do some pull-ups. I'm now going to, I've improved my number because I've recovered. So now what I'm going to do is I'm going to do more pull-ups. And the brain goes, okay, right, hang on a minute. I need to now get better at this. So we're continually loading this in increase of progressive stress. And then through the recovery, we're allowing the body to actually go through a natural process called supercompensation, which basically is the response to that stimulus. It adapts and it takes us above baseline. So following the recovery, you're now better than you were when you first started that training block. And this is the thing that people sometimes forget. You don't get stronger whilst you're in the gym. You get stronger once you've had time to recover. And we have to have that recovery in place if we are allow, going to allow the body to respond to the stress we've placed on it, to build that different types of adaptation and effectively move us in an upward trend towards whatever goal it is we're working towards, whether that be strength, fitness, and whatever. If we don't and we keep digging holes and we don't allow the recovery because we get addicted to training, we go down, 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 we get injured, we break, and then we can have a conversation as part of this series around overreaching and overtraining, which is when the wheels are properly going to come off the wagon. I really enjoyed the little conversation that 
that Tim has with his with his brain. He reached trying to like sort of trick each other, like, haha, no, I will make myself stronger so I can make him go, I'm good, I'm glad you did that because now I'm gonna challenge you again. And it makes me think that the brain's then go like don't like don't like home like oh, I'm never gonna have to make myself strong again. Whereas I don't whereas I don't know, I feel like the uh, the brain is uh, it it will be the in in my head it will be the other way around for somehow if you know what I mean like the brain is far yeah uh, well it's, it is it's the, the brain it's, it's it's in that equal state I mean we we sit around and we don't do a great deal and what the body gives us is we get good at what we get good at whatever we do so we if we sit a lot we get good at sitting um, yeah. it's one of the things which allows us or has allowed us to survive and that people can respond to environments and, and live in hostile places and get on with their life of hunting, gathering and whatever it might be. We just particularly sort of sedentary these days. So we don't really, other than training, like the, our physical adaptation requirements are relatively few because we haven't all of a sudden got to pick up our village and move 50 miles because there's no water, for example, or, or whatever it might be. So that's taken us off topic, but you know where I'm going. Yeah, yeah, no. Life's easy, so we need to just maximise our. We 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 should be a player. We apply stress physically through training. Yeah. So in terms of um, that that question of, I guess you, you framed it there of going you the you know you the amount of work you do should be the amount that you that you recover. And if we take sort of like the um, the professional athlete scenario out of it, like where we stand on just getting people to think about what your sort of training week or bi-weekly or monthly sort of cycle looks like and are you just ask just have a look at it and go am i prioritizing um recovery at all anywhere during that like so do you have a deload week great but then what sort of you know you have written down the sessions that you're gonna you know what you're gonna do on monday on wednesday or whatever then but like do you have any specific um points in your diary in your week or in your month where you go right this is going to be this is going to be a recovery session or this is going to this is something i'm going to i'm going to have the my epsom bath on a this day because that's when i've had my hardest session or this those type of things you can start to be a little bit more strategic with your with your recovery strategies just as you would do with your strategic with your training if you're going to be serious about it and that's when that's when you're going to feel better. That's when you're going to when you're going to see progress. Um, and I think it it's you know the, the terms like game changer can be a bit overused. But any time in my uh, life to do with my training that I've prioritised and really honed in and been super consistent with my recovery strategies, like ice baths, uh, Epsom salts, um, some some contrast showers. Um, that I've done in the past like whenever I've done those things consistently you know what I've always felt the best and made the most progress it's no different to that consistency um, talk or sort of consistency theme that came out of the um, uh, out of the training podcast we did recently about about investing in physical pension so um, yeah I might I'd like to I don't know if there's a there's not necessarily a question there for you I just want to for the listeners just to like ask yourself the question or challenge yourself to to actually have a look at that spend some time i think the talking about the elite athlete side of things is actually really interesting because there's a lot of people that we've come across through our 
journeys in, in the industry and people that we meet who are training, well, let's say they're applying more stress on their systems than an elite athlete. So they will train six times a week. And, and if this is CrossFit is a great example. I've spoken to many CrossFit box owners that say we close on Sunday because if we didn't, members would come, which <laughs> is fine, right? People might want to train on Sunday, but they train, they, they close the gym just to make sure that people are taking a day off. Now, if that's say we're doing six sessions a week, people might be doing doubles, they might be doing something else during the day, not CrossFit, or I'm, I'm not picking on CrossFit at all, I'm just using it as an example. And then they're going to work, and then they've got a family and all this sort of stuff. They'll be doing more work than what an elite athlete is doing. An elite athlete won't do that many sessions necessarily, and what they're also doing when they're not at work in their training environment is recovering. And they'll have, and, and the difference comes in what you mentioned about deload weeks. People who get addicted to training, and I use that term because people, it's, it's a reality of, of yeah. I have to train, I need to train. If I don't train, I'm losing my strength or I'm not going to move as well. Like that is complete garbage. Like it, you, the, the body isn't that stupid to have gone through a block of adaptation, adaptive training to then go, I don't need that anymore. In seven days, if you've trained consistently for a good period of time, it, it's not that, it, it will not drop that quickly. It will only ever serve to enhance what you've done if you created enough um, stress to be able to is then allowed to respond to but uh, but what athletes will get is a coach going you're off next yeah. week's a deload you're not training next week or we're doing reduced volumes or we're doing less sessions whatever it might be they've got someone to control their program for them so the recovery is then put in there for them there's so many people that just dig themselves into a massive hole. And, and this goes back to a conversation we had on the old podcast which we can no longer reference but we it's around like moving through pain like if you're in pain when you're training your body is telling you that something isn't right so listen to it and it's yeah. probably as a result of overstressing tissues or movement patterns or a lack of recovery there's there's so much value in making sure that you you feel good and i'm not saying don't get tired don't feel beaten up definitely need that that's part of a, of a of a structured program you should get to the stage where after three weeks of loading you're like crikey my body's telling me that i need a rest the most important thing you can do there is listen and not just crack on and, and then wonder why you're not seeing gains or you got injured well you that's, don't give your body the chance to do what it actually wants to do which is make you better and that's yeah. the whole point that we're training of it's like it's this fundamental thing that stares people in the face, but it's the hardest thing to do, which is to not train or to rest. And some of these strategies that we're talking about, like Epsom salt baths and, and massage, those things can enhance it. But ultimately, the biggest thing is managing the volumes and having time where your body can just not be stressed. Yeah, I, I wanted to make just uh, just to chip in there because I've got a little bit of a, a bit of a story uh, very quickly on that, and then we can get into some of your uh, share some practical tips for people. It'd be great take home some message of, of what simple things can people do. But um, that and I, I can interesting as we record this, I'm currently in a deload week, um, which is good because I'm well the type done, of person that, yeah, that wouldn't do many of those. Uh, but I'm I'm maturing as I get older and. Um, I am feeling very good of it. I did a, a, a like a handstand session yesterday, and but it was a, like a deload version, so the intensity was down. There's like I did a lot more sort of some pike push up stuff from a pushing strength, but things felt. I did like one frog to handstand, and, and I and I floated up. I've never felt so light, um, <laughs> and so I'm reaping the benefits of listening listening to my body and like making sure that I structure those things in. And that listening to your body is that's what's so and i can say this with some level of authority of experience in terms of like i've been so bad at that in the past um and if i think back to when 
when I played rugby, we used to, and this is why actually it's important like, that you can listen to your body. We used to have um, uh, markers and measures that we would like. They would we would take our like I mean, you could still these the things like your heart rate yourself. We had a grit dynamometer. We'd have our vertical jump taken before every training session, and that was a marker of our neural fatigue. And so we had then a coach to be able to go no you're like when you dropped below like 10% or whatever it was of like your max jump you weren't allowed to train uh, for the gym that day and lads would be we you know the certain the, the certain types of personalities would be like great I'm going home I'm going to you know that's the type of same person that's probably having a beer on or whatever night but <laughs> there was a number of us that would like I just remember like Rohan Nermalandrum for one and me, I would be the same like if if one of us it was like you can't you'd just be you'd be devastated but it was exactly what you needed and deep down you knew you needed that but even when there was the, then the coach saying to it they'd be like this bar oh mate well no no let me do it let me do and, and you try and like talk your way back into the train session while they'd be like no go home and rest and recover and then come back better tomorrow so i think that when we don't have someone like nurturing that and controlling that and actually having some markers some quantifiable markers for us to to do that um then then we need to listen to our body um, I think the one thing, so one thing that I think would be, that would be, is helpful. Uh, I've got into the habit of doing it. I've got a little app on my phone and it just, you put your finger on like the camera thing and it just takes your pulse. So you get, I've got a rate, I've got, I know exactly what my heart rate is every morning. And I can see when it goes up and down. And I know that when it goes up by a certain amount, I check in with myself and it's like, yeah, I, I do feel crap. And today isn't a day um, to, to measure that. You know, um, the bolt score that I do, the breathing from the oxygen venter, like that gives you a, a number and, you know, it's it, it's it, it, it tracks for me very well against how I'm feeling and how either stressed I am or unrecovered I am or how bad a night's sleep I've had. So if you're someone like me, finding some ways that it's not just internally how do I feel, because you're maybe not that touchy-feely type of person, try to connect with that. I think it's a good thing to try and do. But equally, like having something like your heart rate or... Um, I say the bolt scores work well for me of going here's a number I'm normally X and now I'm like way up if my heart rate's way up or my bolt scores way down I'm like today is not a day to train yeah um, yeah those that's something we can probably pick up in, a, in another podcast around those, some of those measures potentially but in this series we can talk about those so we, we spread some of this this stuff out but waking heart rate is, is, is a great one to start with it's very very simple to do um, there's some more advanced methods around um, heart rate variability and you need some different sort of approach and equipment and stuff for it but yeah. Yeah, the, but some people have some of those devices like the Aura is, Ring and, and yeah, things like, like that. Wearable tech now, that's actually yeah, people making have got it. sort, of, sort of really, really useful. You've got to listen to that data and know when to use it. And this is the thing, right? If you wake up and your heart rate is up, for example, or, or whatever indicator you're using, it doesn't necessarily mean that you can't train that day. It's maybe just going, right, okay, I'm, I've taken that information on board. I'm going to get through this week, and next week I'm going to do a proper deload. It's, we don't want to be that reactive sort of... It, this is a big thing in sport coaches don't like it if, if you get far too sensitive about an athlete showing a sign it's, it's okay to be stressed but what we need to make sure of is that doesn't become a chronic loading and then therefore we sort of start to get into a stage where they can't then recover fast yeah. enough um or we modify a session so we, we, we're going to do something off the back of it but these are all kind of like top level like bigger sort of conversations don't get bogged down in it just make sure that you've got some regular deloads in and, and as jacko says i'm a, i'm a massive fan of listening to your body if you can get in tune with what your brain is telling you it's a very very smart piece of equipment and it, it's just not a very good communicator but if you can if you're tired if you're beaten up if you've got a lot of stress on at work or in your life those are all things which are going to your central system is going to mm. is going to experience and it might just not help you to train that day or to do something a bit different so 
even if you've not trained a lot, but you've been a lot, under a lot of emotional duress, that's still stress on the system, which your body's going to have to recover from. You've just been rammed full of adrenaline and cortisol for a week. I mean, that's not that's not a great place to be. So, so think about this as a part of a bigger picture as well, like a state of moods kind of thing. Of like, you, you can get these really easy little scales that you can go, well, how do I feel today? What's my motivation like? What was my sleep like last night? And these are all good ways to, to get an idea of where you're at on that kind of adaptation curve. Um, the one that I was going to pick up on, Jacka, and this will be interesting because there's probably some good anecdotes about this, is just when people talk about recovery, delayed onset of muscle soreness or DOMS is, is one that often people think about. So sometimes we get there's like different types of fatigue that we'll experience. Sometimes after a block, it's like, do you know what? Everything, I'm just smashed. I'm just tired. It's not necessarily you feel sore, but you've just been through the mill and you know about it. Neural fatigue feels quite f- different in that you just can't really, from a skill perspective, or if you're trying to lift a heavy weight or something, you're just not firing. It doesn't feel like yeah. the system's particularly well ramped up. But the one that a lot of people get is DOMS, and they feel sore and they can't move. And, and effectively within that, what we've got is like a, a type one muscle strain injury. Now, I, I looked at a little bit of research before we did the conversation today, and it's, I love this side of, of human performance because research says we actually don't know what causes it and we actually don't know how to get rid of it. And I, I like that about the human body, that we, we don't know everything. As clever as we think we are, we actually don't know the reason or the cause, uh, not the cause, we know what causes it, but we don't know the physiology behind something which has been affecting humans for millions of years. And I think that's brilliant, that we just, like, we get sore. What, what, what is it? And, well, it's just, it's a response to a stress. The body's had a new stimulus placed on it it's not sure what to do it's responded in a certain way and we just we get sore wow. but it, uh, the thing i like about i'll be quite interested was like you can get doms and i can't feel like i did a session yesterday to literally debilitating pain which means you can't get up and down the stairs or yeah. off the toilet like it, it ranges and the research says normally 24 to 72 hours well, I've had legs doms before that's lasted a week. <laughs> probably because I've not trained legs for about a month before. I was going to say, I, I know for certain <laughs> in terms of what, if I don't do something for a long time and then do it and do it with particularly high loads and slow eccentrics, I'm guaranteed, and if I've not done that thing for a while, there is going to be some naughty doms. But the other thing that makes me sort of laugh with it is like when you're, uh, sort of new to it it's like crikey and this is like this is a bit much and this is oh this is sort of literally sort of t- oh, I'm le- like touch my quad on my ass is like from heavy squats it's like you know I haven't had that in a while but um and it's literally like sort of touch let alone move but then as you get sort of um as you get more adapted i guess to training like though it doesn't happen so much so like if i get some doms in like my shoulders i'm like yes like oh yeah, my triceps yeah, yeah, yeah. doms and triceps is nice like i've had that recently i was like yes like enjoying it um and i think that's when you've that's when you got onto the other side that's when you've that's when you've uh you welcome it you welcome the pain well, yeah. i actually got a great question so we do a live q a for for actually anybody's welcome to join but it's built around our virtual classroom so every thursday jack or i jump on in the evening 7 30 in the uk time um and people can just come and join and ask questions and hang out with the community but if you've got calisthenics training questions we make ourselves and our time available hopefully to support the community and progress people's goals so you can find out some details about that on the virtual classroom website under the get help section if you want to come and ask us a direct question but i had a great question of the week and, and, and the guy said to me um it was, it was all around 
he's training and he's like, I feel like I'm not getting sore. Does that mean I'm not training hard enough? And I was like, oh, that's actually really good because you, you started off and you've experienced the soreness mm. that you get during what we would term in physiology of like an alarm reaction phase where your body is all of a sudden just in a bit of shock and it doesn't know what's going to go on. If, you, if you, you can fall into the mindset of thinking, if I'm not getting sore, I must not be training hard enough. That's not the case. And chasing soreness is actually a really bad indicator of whether you are training hard enough because you introduce a new stimulus and you're going to go, I don't know, I'm going to do pipe push-ups for the first time or whatever. And your body's going to have a little bit of a shock and then it's going to start to respond to that stimulus. It's going to get used to it. So the movement pattern doesn't cause quite as much stress anymore. If you keep chasing intensities and volumes where to, because you, you're guiding soreness as, as, a, as a marker of a good training session, you can send yourself down a little bit of a dodgy road because it's often a new movement pattern or a new stimulus or something which is going to cause the, the soreness to come on. Whereas if I do pipe push-ups and I'm working hard out, and I'm, let's say today I've done four or five sets of eight to 10 repetitions, mm. I might have some doms tomorrow, but it's not going to be debilitating because I'm quite used to that movement pattern. But I've 100% done enough intensity in that session to get an adaptation because my, I was working pretty close to max. So 8 to 10 was about as many reps I could do. But then if I go, well, I must have not done enough if I'm not sore tomorrow, it doesn't really work like that. So don't let doms be a guidance of a good session or not. Your body will have it during an initial phase. Or like Jacko says, heavyweights, eccentrics, new exercises, something you've not done before, you're going to get sore. The more you do it, the less soreness you're going to get. But it doesn't mean that you're not still getting adaptation. Yeah. Um, and then, so in terms of recovery, the take home, uh, I guess we've got plenty of take home, but I want like some, some practical, like maybe like your top three or just like you've, you know, we've touched a number of times on deload weeks in this podcast and in many other podcasts. So like, you can't have that as one of your like practical solutions that people can do. Um, I've got like three, I could do more, but I'm going to keep it three, three that you, you personally, uh, like, and feel the benefits from and that people can try out or explore right, I'm gonna, themselves. I'm going to go evidence-based for the people. So okay. I'm going to give, and, and these are, they happen to align with what I've I've got, my evidence is me. Yeah, I feel better. You've got N of one. <laughs> I'm going to go meta-analysis. That's cool. Um, so <laughs> the, the interesting one about the science, and if you, I've actually got the name of the paper. If people want to go and read about this, it's actually a really nice little paper. There's some kind of technical stuff in it, um, but you'll get the main gist of it. But if you go onto Google, because it's available free through ResearchGate. Um, so if you go to Google Scholar and search for delayed onset of muscle soreness, treatment strategies and performance factors, there's a really nice review article in sports. We can put Med the link in. Can put the link in the link. Yeah, yeah, we can put that. We can put the link in um, if you want to go and read it. But um, effectively, it's one of those things. Of, like we don't know what the exact sort of physiology of delayed onset muscle soreness is. We also don't exactly know what to do to get rid of it. So, the biggest thing about recovery and what works is what works for you. If it makes you feel better, do more of it. Um, the research will say, for example, that ice baths are not massively effective for DOMS. That's what the research has shown. But if you do an ice bath and you feel like the next day your DOMS is better, then we do an ice bath. There's something around hypertrophy and that sort of thing, but let's not dig into that one too much. Yeah. But that ice bath could potentially be of benefit, but it might be contrary to what the research says. The biggest one that I would always do, and I've always done with athletes, and I think works the best for myself, is movement. Like the, We've effectively created some trauma within the tissue what's going to help to get that to help that to heal through the natural restorative process of you've created some stress so or some some damage 
trauma, the body will heal itself given the right amount of time. So it's almost just like we need to ride through that process because it's the body's just going to do what the body wants to do to fix the the, the problem or fix the the, um, the issue. So exercise, I would say, always helps. And we used to just do steady state, like recovery yeah. type sessions. So if you've got super sore legs, well, jump on a bike for 20 minutes and go 60% of your max heart rate or max effort, six out of 10, and just let that system clean itself out. The blood flow is going to bring like fresh oxygenated blood in. It's going to take away some of the waste products. It's going to start to clean out some of that um, damage that you've done and help that process or help the, the muscles to start to heal. So exercise is always a number one. Oftentimes, people be like, I've got super sore legs. I can't even think about going out for a jog. Five minutes in, you're going to feel better. You might yeah. like jog down the road like you're carrying a poo hammock in your pants, but you'll get <laughs> there, like, it'll, it'll ease up and you'll start to get into your flow a little bit. The other one that I like is foam rolling. Now, this is a little bit of a massage. It's a sketchy one because it might go, does it help? Does it not help? There's some nice little research around the, the, like bringing, basically bringing on peak soreness earlier if you foam roll post-session. So they moved it from 72 hours to 48 hours. So actually you hit that peak and that means that you're then going to be back close to your best yeah. faster. You're shortening down that, 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 uh, the process of, of recovery. You could get hands-on tissue massage if you if you can get access to that. You can afford to do it, but jumping on a foam roll and just loosening your legs out after a session, a bit of restorative movement there. Stretching again, the the evidence is a little bit divided. It might not sort muscle soreness out. It's not going to fix the trauma, but does it restore some length back to tight muscles? Does it help again to get more uh, just tissue fluid moving around, start to get the lymphatic system kind of moving, and and just generally speed that process rather than ramming your legs full of lactate or doms or whatever it might be and, and sorry and then causing the doms afterwards and sitting around on the sofa for two days feeling sore like it makes sense actually to cause stress and then just to get the system moving so mm. my general thing on recovery strategies around that are just yeah get try and just get the body moving help that restorative process and sleep that's always going to be good a lot of repair happens when you are fast asleep yeah and one of the things i like about i think all those things you mentioned so far is that they're, they're they're just a choice they're just free like so a hands-on massage you have to pay for but you can do it yourself with a, a you know, by a foam roller or a tennis ball or whatever. but do you know what I mean just generally it's like a choice it's free um a couple of things um on that theme of like stuff that's free that i really um like as well that anyone can do it's just number one just bringing the system down um so as in like you've been You've been working hard, heart rate is up. We're actually getting stressed in in a good way, as in like not like ah, I'm out of like my brain's going mad, like but just training is a stress, is a stressor. So bringing ourselves down out of that sort of sympathetic state and bringing the heart rate down as part of that um, is going to start to get us towards like when we're in that state, we're not we're not repairing. It's not rest, recovery, restore. Whereas if we can get ourselves in that sort of shifting towards that parasympathetic state, then that's when there's the, the recovery, that's when the rest, that's when the restorative processes from the body happen. It's not going to do that if it still thinks it needs to be in sympathetic fight or flight. Um, so one of the great ways is like just taking like, you know, you could sit down or just lie down a few minutes at the end of your session, just focus on bringing your heart rate down through slower, relaxed breathing, just something as simple as trying to get a slower breath count of four seconds in 
six seconds out a slightly longer exhale that is six seconds compared to four helps with shifting us towards that parasympathetic state um, and just doing that nice and slowly and relaxed in and out of the nose like that will bring the system down and get yourself ready for because uh, a lot of the time the other thing people will do after they train is it will be like uh, refueling and you want to be in a rest digest state to be able to refuel as well so do that first before you then take on any any like drinks or whatever things you take or food you have afterwards um you mentioned ice baths again like that's something i've loved in the past and love it now um definitely feel better after that and again it's just a choice <laughs> it feels a bit uncomfortable but you choose to do it um with the athletes i don't want to diminish that we, we we've got when we go to concert with with the, with the paris swimming we've got an ice bath for post race because yeah. the guys are going to swim twice they're going to swim once in the morning for heat and once in the evening for the final often lots of them will choose to jump in the ice bath because it makes them feel good i mean you get out of cold water your system feels alive again it's it could if it's nothing more than psychological that's a positive thing like it's yeah. I, I, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm not at all kind of saying don't do it. It's, yeah, it's, just, yeah. it's always interesting when you get that feeling of, but I think this helps, but the research says it doesn't. Okay, well, now you're in this nice little place of going, well, do what's right for you. Yeah, well, for that, per- I've got some research for that person. The placebo is worth something like 8%, isn't it, or whatever it is? Yeah, four. The placebo is like a given, yeah. a given yeah. thing, a given percentage. Like, so you can't actually, it doesn't, it doesn't matter if the thing does actually work because actually you might just have the placebo bit, which we do know. It's scientifically proven. It does work. Um, my final one um, is if those that don't like cold and don't like cold baths, warm bath with Epsom salts in. So problem, yes, okay, that one that one isn't free, but Epsom salts are pretty cheap. You know, Newton Wood, we recommend, obviously, they're, they're uh, pure, uh, high-grade um, magnesium sulfate. So you're not getting anything else in the system when you are bathing in that. But And they're just, you know, you're looking at a few pounds and pence to get to have yourself um, an Epsom bath. That's something I've used personally for nearly uh, 20 years from when I was like a little baby playing rugby, trying to trying to recover so I could get a bit bigger to keep up with the big boys. <laughs> but um, yeah, they're probably my they're probably my three three favourite. I do love my red light, but that's obviously quite a that's quite an investment for people. You need to be um, taking taking things seriously. But yeah, the red light therapy um, that has had. Yeah, I, I really do enjoy the regular um, use of that. That's sort of that's one for those that are looking to to invest. But go for do the do the things that you are, that are just a choice and that are just a free for you. And um, what Tim said, find out what works for you. If it feels good, it is good. All right, so we hope that has been of value to you and you've got some good takeaways there to just prioritise recovery. Spend a few days just thinking over it, reflect on your own practice and then start to make a little bit of a commitment to how you're going to maximise or improve your recovery, ultimately for the goal of enhancing your performance moving forwards in your actual training sessions. So there's some, some real value there and we hope that you have enjoyed the conversation. Yes, and if you uh, haven't given us a review yet of the podcast, we would really appreciate you uh, giving us a review wherever it is that you listen to your podcast on Spotify, SoundCloud, even on Amazon now, I think as well. But um, wherever you listen to it, we'd really appreciate a uh, review of the uh, of the podcast and you know the fact that you you take the time out to do that. We really, really value and thank you for it. We've got a new outro, haven't we, Tim? At the, uh, I'm try- I was going to try and do it, but. I, I, I'm worried I'm going to butcher. I'm going to need to listen. To, I need to do some homework. Can you can you send us home on this one? And I'll I'll work I'll work on it for next week. Yeah, the final little curveball is that we had to retire the old outro. We thought it was looking a little bit tired, so we've we've caught with something a little bit new. So until next time, keep exploring your physical potential with movement, strength, and play. Hold up. 